Hey friends, it's Eric here. Thanks for listening to the Building Us podcast. Hey, I want to invite you to follow me on my new show, Stuff About Money They Didn't Teach You in School, where I take a deeper dive into money and financial topics. You can find it wherever you listen to your podcast, Stuff About Money They Didn't Teach You in School. I hope to see you there. Most people want to be some better version of themselves. They want to be healthier. They want to have more income at their disposal. They want to be more productive and successful at work. And in order to get there, you have to take a look at what am I doing that's either helping or hindering that process. And the development of healthy habits can help you reach those goals and ultimately to be the person that you're trying to be. Building Us Podcast. I am Eric Garcia, Certified Financial Planner and Financial Advisor. And as always, I am joined with my co-host, Dr. Matt Morris, Family Therapist and Couples Counselor. Matt, what's happening? Hey, man. It's a beautiful day in New Orleans. Good to be with you. It is. It is. It could be a bit cooler. We've been uh, um, running from storms lately. So this is a nice reprieve to not have you know anything within like, I don't know, two days away. Of hitting us. Yeah. Going into the weekend with a little less anxiety about a storm approaching. That's nice. You know, you just said something that reminded me of something. I asked the question and you said, yeah. Uh, so, you know, we've had, we've had a, 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 you know, a lot of these podcasts under our belts and, you know, we have to listen to these to edit them. And I'm, I'm curious, are there things that you've noticed about, uh, about yourself? Maybe things that you say, that maybe drive you a little bit crazy or like, ah, oh, I shouldn't say that as much. Yeah. 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 I say, yeah, a lot in the yeah. podcast. I've noticed that. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I often, mm-hmm. um, start the sentence with, yeah. Uh, like I'm already agreeing with whatever you're saying or what our guest was saying. I, I'm, I'm following the conversation and saying, yeah. And you're I, agreeing with me because I end all my sentences with, right. So I'm like, I'm already implying that you're agreeing with me. So you have to, Start with yeah, right? All right, so let's do it. You end a sentence and I'll... I just did it. I just did it. I just said right. Yeah. Oh, this is this is this is complicated. This is complicated. Is this are these are these habits that we develop like I'm just curious. Like well, how do we pick these things up? Is are they habits? Like what what is it? What's what's going on there? Yeah. No. So um Right? Yeah. Speaking, um <laughs> how we talk, how we uh, speak are certainly habitual and we see trends in how people speak and language and verbiage and words and, and style that, that are used. Those do become kind of culturally uh, habituated in that we, we copy each other. And so ending a sentence with right is very common right now. We, you and I have talked about that. Beginning sentences with, yeah, it's a little less formal speak and, and that's more common. Um, I don't think that I do that as much. Um, uh, when I'm seeing clients. Mm -hmm. And so I think it is something that you and I are developing between the two of us, which, which has to do with this idea that habits are also systemic or part of a relationship and not totally, uh, you know, beholden to the individual. Well, good. Well, hopefully we'll figure this out because we have a, a pretty awesome guest today. Um, Dr. Lori Darling, she's a clinical psychologist. But before we get to her, some quick housekeeping notes. Um, we appreciate just everyone listening. It, it's fun to watch our downloads. I've mentioned this over the past couple podcasts. It's we're picking up more and more listeners. So we got two favors to ask of you, especially for our our loyal listeners that listen regularly. Number one, we would love for you to leave a comment on whatever podcast app you listen to. Let us know. Let us know what you like about the show. Um, let us know uh, if you think Matt says yeah too much. We, we would love. We would love that feedback. Yeah. And the second, kind of related to right, right. Yeah. The second thing related to that feedback is we would love to get your show ideas. If there's something that you want to hear us talk more about, go to building-us.com and there's a place there where you can drop us a note. We'd be more than happy to to cover a topic if it's of interest to you. So let's get to our guest. Lori, how are you doing today? 
I'm great, Eric. And thank you guys for having me on the show today. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Kind of set the stage for us that uh, makes you a good person to talk about habits with. Well, um, by training, I'm a clinical psychologist and I've been practicing in private practice for about 15 years. Um, I specialize in a couple of different areas. One is evaluation and assessment. So trying to help people figure out what's going on in their world um, and what is going to help them feel better, do better, be more successful, healthier, productive. Um, and then the follow-up to that is uh, I do some individual therapy as well with adults to try and be one piece of that, um, that or one component of that plan that's going to help them do better. Yeah, I love on your, I was poking around on your website and you talk about all those things about behavior change and all that, and then also world domination. Yeah, whatever your goal is, I'm, I'm on board. So have, you, have you helped someone dominate the world yet? You know, one habit at a time, yes. One habit at a time. So that is kind of leads us to our first point or the first question that I really want to dive into. Um, one, you can't dominate the world unless you develop good habits that are going to lead you to dominate the world. So let's start off very basically, very basically, very basic. Uh, what, what are habits and why are they so powerful? So I think of a habit as, and I think most people would think of it as kind of a routine action that's done over and over almost to an automatic degree. Um, and it's usually in response to a specific kind of situation or an environment. So it's kind of an automatic behavior that we do. And habits um, can be really helpful because what they do is every behavior that we engage in, every action that we do has a, an expense associated to it in terms of our mental energy. And so you're pulling on your mental energy every time you do something, every time you think about something, speak, engage in, in some sort of action. And habits by nature, because they're automatic and they're performed so quickly and without even really thinking about them, the automaticity of it prevents, you know, that cognitive load from being pulled. So it's just, it frees up mental space to do other stuff that, you know, you really need to be focused or putting effort into mentally. It's fascinating. Yeah, I think as, as, as humans, we've, we've kind of developed to do things that are easiest for us in habits just are easy. I don't have to, I don't have to think. And sometimes it's nice not to think. Matt, what do you, what do you think about that? Uh, yeah. I, I'm very interested in what you were saying, but it sounds like you're saying habits have this function cognitively of being a little bit of a shortcut for us that we can do routinized behaviors over and over again without uh, without really having to plan for it or uh, spend a lot of mental energy executing that the, the preparation and plan for that behavior. I'm thinking about things that I do routinely that I really don't think about doing anymore or don't have to think about that much while I'm doing it. I can just I can it, there's kind of a shortcut behavior. There's kind of a shortcut aspect to it. That's right. And it, and it really allows us to be able to do a lot of different things and have a lot of complexity to mm. our activities that we mm. otherwise would not have the cognitive capability to do all at one time. So you can be washing the dishes and ha having a conversation or driving your car and, and planning out your day. So you can be doing kind of more than one thing at a time to a degree because of the automaticity of that habit because you're so used to doing it, mm -hmm. like walking and chewing gum. <laughs> yeah. And, and so in that way, uh, I think some people think of the word habit in, in a negative way, like oppressive or something like that. It's going to, you know, oh, I got to develop a new habit. But if we're, if we're thinking about these as being cognitive and behavioral shortcuts that enable us to do more complex things, maybe, maybe what we're talking about today is helping people develop better shortcuts. 
Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, I think most people want to be some better version of themselves, right? They want to be healthier. They want to have more, um, more income at their disposal. They, um, want to be more productive and successful at work. And in order to get there, you have to take a look at what am I doing that's either helping or hindering that process. And the, the development of healthy habits can help you reach those goals and ultimately to be the person that you're trying to be. Yeah, there's a, um, I think it's, it might have been from that book, Atomic Habits. I'm not sure if he, the author is James Clear. I'm not sure if he said it or if someone else said it. But he said that habits are the compound interest of self-improvement. Now, as a financial guy, as an investment guy, I love the idea of, of compound interest. And I'm going to give you this quick analogy. And you may have heard it before, um, but play along with me if you, um, if you have. So if I were going to give you, you had the option of, of, taking a, of me giving you a million dollars right now, all right, or... I'm going to give you a penny a day that doubles daily for 30 days. What would you rather? A million dollars today or a penny a day that doubles daily for 30 days? I'd take the million dollars today. million bucks. million dollars today. Well, are you really playing along? Actually, no. Compound interest. So the idea of compound interest is that interest earns interest, earns interest, earns interest. And I think this is really analogous to this idea of, of, of habit. So for example... If I give you a penny on day one, and then you're on day two, you have two pennies, then day three, you have four pennies. Well, that's not a lot, four pennies, right? We get out to day 20, I think this is right math, we're like at $5,200. We're like, okay, day 20, there's only 10 more days. I, I made a good decision with the million dollars. But if we play this out over 30 days, you'll walk with over $5 million, right? So now what would you rather, a million dollars today? Or a penny a day that doubles for 30 days? Penny. Right. But I, I have to say, I am in mental health, mental health because uh, math is really hard. Compounding interest <laughs> is really challenging. That's, so ditto. that's what I'm here. Stay so in your lane, I'll point. stay in mine. Try, there we go. Yeah. So, so, so when we think about habits being the compound interest of self-improvement, it's, wow, if, if something as small as a penny, something as small as some new habit that we develop, if we continue doing it over time, over time, over time, maybe we will, we won't dominate the world necessarily, but we can certainly make huge impacts in, in our life and, and in the lives of those we're, we're around. Yeah, I agree with that a hundred percent. Um, no, no pun intended on the percent joke. Cause I'm also not that great at math. Obviously <laughs> I chose the million dollars, which was wrong. Um, but you said some things in there that were super important. Um, you said doing small things over time repetitively is going to get you where you want to be. And so that's kind of the nature of habits is trying to devise the right system, um, that's going to get you to your goal. So it, they can be really tricky, which is why so many people struggle with habits, um, starting habit, good habits, stopping bad habits, People have New Year's resolutions every year and, mm. you know, we, most of us struggle to maintain those. And there's something within that system of developing and maintaining the habit that, that is the difficult part for, for people to nail down and figure out. So that's what we were trying to kind of yeah. talk through today to give people some good, um, concrete strategies and practical tips so that they know how to set themselves up for those good habits to 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 really be successful in the long run. Yeah, we, we think that we think that um, massive actions, um, or or we think that massive things that we can accomplish you know, require massive action, but it's actually it's it's the accumulation of smaller decisions that we make over time. Um, and then when we have success in a certain area, people don't necessarily see all the hard work that went into it, right? There's an analogy and I love it. Um, imagine a, a block of ice, 
right, we're talking about snowballs off the air. You know, imagine a big block of snowball ice, all right? It's cold. It's got to be really cold. I don't know what the temperature is, but let's say it's like 15 degrees. I think it's freezing. Or below. 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 It's below, (laughs) so it could be like negative 40 or 15 degrees. And I give you the task, Matt, to melt the block of ice, right? So you, whatever, you get blow dryer or a lighter and you're sitting there and you're you're, you're trying to melt it and you're, you're getting frustrated because it's not melting yet. Well, your, your efforts brought the temperature from 15 degrees to 31 degrees. All the action happens at 32 degrees. Mm. So your, your, your effort wasn't wasted. It just hasn't, hasn't manifested yet. The, 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 uh, the, the um, behavior that you're trying to accomplish or the action that you're trying to accomplish just hasn't happened yet. Uh, J- James Clear in that book, Atomic, habits. He calls that the plateau of potential latency, right? You've, you've been putting all this, this potential energy into something. And then all of a sudden, all the action will happen at one time. You've, and you've, I think you've that's, accumulated that's the, change to the plateau level, but you haven't, it hasn't accumulated to the tipping point level yet of, of uh, the, the, the habit taking effect. Well, yeah. I mean, and Laura, you could probably attest to this. How many times do people come to you and say, I'm trying to do the right things, but I'm just, it's just not, I'm just not seeing the result that I want, whether it's weight loss or getting fit or saving more money. But if they're doing those, those habits, we know that eventually it's going to work out if you're doing the, the prescribed actions. All the time. And it has more to do with, I think, where we're looking, like where our perception is. We're always looking at the ultimate goal or the outcome, like we're looking for the snowball ice to be melted versus looking at that system or process that gets us there. So up until the point at which the ice starts melting at 32 degrees Fahrenheit, it's latent potential or what's stored potential. You, you are putting effort and energy and work in, but you're not seeing any results yet. And that is um, what stops so many people from continuing forward. They lose the motivation because they're not seeing the, the, the benefit or the results yet, the fruit of their labor. And so rather than focusing on that end point or that goal, what you really want to do is focus on the path, focus on the trajectory, look back over time and see, okay, every day I'm, I'm showing up to, to exercise or, or to make a good decision with what I'm eating or to not spend on this item that I'm trying to save money. So if you're focusing on that over, over a period of time rather than the end goal, you're going to maintain the motivation to keep going, that, that momentum, so to speak. Yeah, that's good. That's good. It's, it's hard because we want, especially if we're results-driven or goal-oriented, we want to achieve results. Uh, it's not enough just to know that I'm putting work in. It's like I want to have a big savings account. I want to retire at 55. I want to lose 20 pounds or, or bench however much weight you want to bench or something. Um, but it takes work. Like we look at these world-class athletes and we forget that. I mean, those are, that's years and years and years and years and years of work to get to where they are. We look at people who are successful and we think, man, that's years and years of habits and good behaviors and doing the extra things that lead them uh, to success. And sometimes I think we just look from the outside and forget the, the hard work, the small accumulation, that compounding interest of, of, of the habits impact that they've had on, on self-improvement. Yeah, um, that, that's very true because um, just like we miss our own, you know, latent potential or that effort that's building up to get to where we want to be, we also don't see that in other people. We just see that outcome or that result. And so we make this assumption that They've got some, you know, magic wand that we don't have or they're, you know, that they just, it was by luck or happenstance and that's not the case. It's, it's so very rare that the, anybody becomes an overnight success or, um, you know, celebrity like that. People have put in 
years of effort over time that has gotten them to where they are. We're just seeing the, the fruit of the labor. Yeah. So you said something about lacking the motivation and I'm really interested kind of in this idea of, of motivation. Cause I think that most people when they're, I don't know, picking some behavior that they want to, uh, let's stick in the financial world. I want to, you know, pay off a credit card, right? Like there, there is a sense of motivation, but it often, it often wanes. So I'm curious is motivation, uh, what's the play between maybe motivation being motivated versus creating the environments that are going to help us be successful at, at accomplishing that, that behavior that we're trying to pursue? Well, I mean, motivation is, is critical, but where you're getting your motivation from is even more critical. So if the motivation is in seeing the result or the outcome or reaching the goal, then there's a couple of things that are going to happen. One is somewhere along the way to getting to your goal that before you've reached it, that you've continued to put in effort and not seeing the results, you're going to lose momentum and you're going to give up. Um, the, the other thing is instead of, you know, focusing on the, the goal if, after it's been reached, what do you do after that? Um, you just, stop and go back to your old habits. You don't want to do that. So rather than being motivated by outcome, you need to be motivated by the the person that you want to be, your identity. What are you working towards? Why are you wanting to save money or lose weight mm -hmm. or, you know, do those things, those habits that you're trying to put into place? You have to dig a little bit deeper to be able to maintain that motivation over time. Does that make sense? It does. You keep saying things and like, it keeps like, Oh, I want, I want to talk about that, but I want to stay on one particular thread. So we're going to get, we're going to get to like, maybe like some tips and tricks on building better habits or, or even um, not just building better habits, but maybe on learning <laughs> bad habits. I think, I think they're probably both equally important. Uh, I'm trying really hard to not say right at the end of my sentences, Matt. Um, yeah. yeah. I want to um, kind of highlight, I think, something that Lori is, is talking about, and that is uh, it sounds like it's really important for us to pay attention to or or for us to pay attention to the right data when we're making a change or trying to create a new habit. So one of the data points could be that accomplishment or that goal, but there's, there could be other data points that we're really looking at, um, as, uh, intermediary. So f I, I, you, it's really got me thinking about, um, when I wrote, uh, in my doctoral program, when I wrote a dissertation and, and like accomplishing a dissertation, you know, a, a large document was going to be hard for me and it was going to be hard to think about the goal is finishing the dissertation. That was, that became um, not very helpful for me in finishing, but, it, but I started thinking about writing every day. So then I wanted to write something, write a paragraph or write a sentence every day. And, and then I got into this habit of if I go to work 45 minutes early and get there early, then I have 45 minutes to write every day. So part of the goal then became just going to work 45 minutes early. And then it became writing every day. And, and pretty soon, you know, pages were accumulating and chapters were accumulating. And, and I eventually finished it. And then you, Laura, you were talking about um, it needing, the goal needed needing to be tied to my identity. And my identity at that time was doctoral student. And I didn't want to remain a doctoral student forever. And my wife and I had just had our second child. And it was really important that I transition from doctoral student to professor at some point. So, you know, get a real job. Um, and so accomplishing the dissertation became less about the actual study that I was doing in, on some, some level and more about needing to move on to this next place in life. And that became really important. And so I'm, I'm just thinking about 
the ways in which we break down big, arduous, difficult tasks or changes, and making sure that we're focused on data points that are more immediate and and more uh, meaningful and not so lofty and out there. Yeah, that's a really good example of how to tackle such a big goal in your life and what it represents for you, not just attaining the goal, but what kind of person it it speaks of you as somebody who is, you know, um, wanting to ultimately help people, which is why you went into the field that you went into. But in that process of getting there, you needed to accomplish a series of steps, many of which were very large and, and culminating in that dissertation, which is the biggest project that anybody would do at that level. So, um, if you can remember like the small day to day, I need to show up at the office. I need to write a page. I need to read an article. And then those intermediary goals kind of in, you know, in the middle of, um, you know, finishing uh, a section of the paper or having a meeting with your, your, you know, your academic advisors. And then that long-term goal of defending and getting up and, you know, talking in front and getting the dissertation completed. And then you get to graduate and, and, and do what you love to do. So um, I know, Eric, you have also spoken about kind of short-term, mid-term, and long-term um, goals, right? Yeah, I have. Um, I, I have spoken about that. You threw me off because I was, I was, my mind was thinking about something that both of y'all were talking about. Um, You're thinking about doing a dissertation? No, <laughs> no, no, God, no. I don't want to do dissertation. I do not want doctor. Uh, I have no desire to have doctor in front of my name. Um, yeah, just in terms of short-term, long-term, and midterm, I talk about that in terms of um, of how we save money over short. It basically it just it gives purpose to to different uh, pots of money, if you will, which helps us invest it and, and kind of gives us um, intention on on how to manage those those specific pieces of, of money, which which to be able to fund short-term and midterm and long-term goals and, and pots of money, you got to develop healthy habits. But I want to go back to where my mind was real quick, if we can. Both of you said something that's fascinating to me, and I really want to explore um, this idea of identity. One of the things I do talk about with money management is I talk to a lot of people who are doing things with their money that doesn't necessarily align with who they say they are or what they want to accomplish. And both you talked about this idea of identity. You know, Matt, you said I didn't I was a doctoral student and I had to see myself as as professor. And what I'm really interested in 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 kind of understanding here is I think oftentimes our habits can shape our identity but also the other way around, our identity, how we identify who we think we are, who we want to become, could also be a catalyst of change for the habits that we create. So, for example, about a year, and you know, we've talked about this on the podcast, um, Matt and I, Matt, we talk about our CrossFit adventures. About a year and a few months ago, I joined CrossFit. Uh, I knew that I wanted to get in shape. My goal was to get in shape, to feel better. And the owner of our gym, she refers to all her members as athletes. So I started thinking, hey, I'm an athlete. I'm an athlete. So, you know, athletes work out. Athletes go to the gym. Athletes take care of their bodies. And it was this, this subtle shift in identity, identifying as an athlete, and then all the, the habits that athletes have as opposed to the other way around, I'm going to go to the gym, I'm going to eat healthy, I'm going to take care of myself, those types of things. So talk a little bit about the importance of of that identity to help us create those habits as opposed to the other way around. Yep. So we all have, you know, beliefs and um, kind of ideas about the types of people that we are. So for example, if you um, feel like you're the kind of person who's always late you know, you're a late person, you show up five minutes after everybody's there, then you just kind of expect to do that on a regular basis because that's who you are. 
you know, and sometimes we kind of embrace that. Um, and sometimes we, we, we don't want to be that kind of person. We, we want to have healthier ways of, of doing and being. And so, like you said, either a lot of times we will let our goals try and shape our identity. So, for example, uh, I want to lose 20 pounds and eat healthier and drink more water, and then I'll be a healthy person. Um, rather than going uphill like that, thinking about the kind of person that you want to be as a healthy person or an athlete, what does that kind of person do? What is that person kind of, what does that person eat? You know, um, and then breaking down what are those habits that I can work on that's going to be in line with that identity. Yeah, I like that. It's kind of asking the question like, does this, does this behavior help me become the person that I, that, that I want to become? Um, is this habit cast a vote for that desired identity? And if it doesn't, then that could be a good way to help us either do or not do that, um, that habit. Um, I think it's difficult for us to, especially over a period of time, I think we can all do anything for a very short period of time, but I think it's really difficult for us to perform behaviors that are that are incongru that are incongruent or misaligned with how we see ourselves. So I, I know that's kind of um, you know pessimistic people always um, you know charge optimistic people with always looking at the bright side. But there's some there's some like there's some benefit to that of, of having a positive mindset because like you said I know you're a very optimistic person. Um, you know every time we interact you always leave feeling better. Um, but if we have, if we tell ourselves positive things and affirm things about ourselves, we, we got a better chance of actually accomplishing those things. Yeah. And, and we all operate from something called a confirmation bias. So the beliefs that we have about ourselves, we're actually, our brain is trained to look for things in our environment or behaviors that we engage in as confirming that belief. And so if, the beliefs at their core are negative, you know, I'm lazy or I'm not smart, um, then you're going to pick up on any activity or behavior or evidence that that belief is true. And that's the confirmation bias, as opposed to starting to shift to say, um, you know, I'm, I'm a learner. Um, I'm somebody who shows up and tries their best. Then you start to feel better when you're looking for evidence that affirms or approves that that's the kind of person that you are. And so habits can speak to that when you're trying to build a healthier sense of identity through better actions. So we've been talking about habits and, and kind of loftily about habits, uh, habits tied to our identities and those kind of things. But just get, I want to get into kind of the nuts and bolts of developing habits and and how um, people that you're around uh, go go about doing that and how you're coaching people to develop better habits. Lori? So to kind of start, I guess, the discussion of like, how do you develop good habits or how do you stop bad habits? Um, and I'm using good and bad and kind of general terms there. Um, but to understand those, I think Understanding what is, what's that process is really important. So every habit or behavior has several steps. There's a cue, there's a craving, there's a response, and then there's a reward. And the cue is kind of the signal that triggers your brain to activate a particular action. Like when you see a, a donut, um, it, it, can be kind of an internal or an external change in state that your, the cue sets off. The craving is that desire or the urge for that change in your state to happen or an anticipated outcome. So if I'm hungry and I see the donut, then I'm craving that feeling of, of you know, being full or, or satisfied. 
Um, or if you want to get really deep, kind of the sense of comfort that the donut's going to make some people feel. Uh, if I'm full, then I won't have that craving there. So a cue doesn't always create a craving, but that's that the process is cue and then it has a craving and then that spurs a response, which is the actual behavior or the habit that you perform. Um, that's dependent on motivation, like we talked about earlier, as well as the actual ability to do the, the behavior or perform the action. After you perform the action, then there's some sort of consequence. Um, and in the case of a habit, there's a reward. There's an, you know, the, the satisfaction of your craving ultimately. So, you know, to eat, to have a sense of safety, to feel healthy, those are all rewards. And you need each of those four parts, the cue, the craving, the response, and the reward in order to sufficiently develop a habit. And the best way to develop a habit is to have a plan, um, first and foremost. You know, the, most people have heard the saying by Ben Franklin, if you fail to plan, then you plan to fail. And so when a lot of people feel like they lack motivation, it's really that they're lacking a clear plan. And if you look at those four steps of behavior as kind of a framework, then you can kind of design good habits and at the same time, eliminate bad ones. So when you, when you say have a plan, you mean when this cue, something that makes me, something that, a trigger, right? Some, when this happens, then I'm going to do this. Is that kind of the plan that you're talking about? So, so I'm trying to, I would think of sort of the goal, um, let's say it's to, you know, be healthier or feel better, um, be able to play with your kids for more than five minutes without being winded. You want to be the kind of person who can, can do that. And, um, then if you have that goal, then you need to figure out what is the behavior? Like, what does a healthy person do? What's the habit that I'm trying to develop? So that's the response or the behavior. So you have a cue and a craving that leads to the response, and then you have that reward for that behavior. So, um, for example, um, let's say you want to lose weight, okay, so that you can feel healthier. Then a cue for that might be that when I walk into the kitchen, I see a plate of cookies on the counter and I see a bowl of apples. Those are both cues. One cue is going to lead mm -hmm. me to have an urge to eat the cookies and be satisfied immediately and feel good. The other one even might also result in a craving to be healthier, feel better. And that's what I do is eat the apple instead. Because in the long run, I'm trying to be a healthier person. So maybe a good tip here would be to um, create an environment that's going to set you up for success, right? Maybe you shouldn't leave cookies out on the table when you're trying to be healthy. Yes, exactly. Or you should leave apples out. So that's actually the cue part. So if you're trying to eat better, you want to make the cue obvious as far as setting up a good habit. If you're trying to walk every day, make sure your exercise shoes are out. You know, it's, it's obvious and right there. Um, and then you want to make it attractive. Uh, obviously, sometimes eating the cookie tastes better than eating the apple. Mm. But mm -hmm. if the attraction is, you know, there, then you'll be likely to follow through on that. And you want to make it easy. Um, having the apples out on the counter versus having them in a drawer it makes it easier to, to pick up the apple. Um, having the cookies in the pantry as opposed to on the table makes it harder. Mm -hmm. And sometimes if you have kids and you're trying to get them to eat fruit, maybe having the apples already cut, sliced, and shaved is even better. Maybe so. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, um, you know, I, I read that um, disciplined what does it say? Disciplined people are better at structuring their lives in a way that does not require heroic willpower and self-control. That a lot of times we think I just need to have more willpower, more self-control. And, and the reality is 
no, I'm just going to not, I'm not going to put myself in a position to be tempted. If I'm trying to get healthy, I'm not going to have cookies out on the counter, right? Um, that self-control is a good short-term strategy, but it's a really bad long-term strategy. Yeah, you want to set it up so that it is as easy as possible to make the right choice and it is as hard as possible to make the wrong choice. And redesigning your environment can be a big, helpful strategy for doing that. So I'm curious on a couple of things, right? So I'm I'm thinking in the context of money, right? As I talk to people about having more financial security and more financial success, listening to you talking about this idea of planning what you want to do, um, you know, and in the financial world, we, we talk about automating your savings, right? If you have a 401k plan at work, you know, you're, you're automating the, um, you know, a certain percentage of your income going into your account. Or if you're trying to save for something, uh, you get paid on the 1st and 15th of every month, I'm automatically going to have a certain dollar amount transferred automatically to another account to kind of get it out of my way. That, that's, that's in a sense, creating an environment for making that decision before that action is actually taken, kind of what you were talking about earlier. Yep. You're, so I'm you're, curious, Matt. Go, go ahead, Lori. Sorry. Yes, you're making it easy to have that good habit, which is to save money. And the alternative um, is in terms of making it hard to spend money. So, for example, if you're trying to spend less money uh, and you tend to be an impulse buyer when you go to Target or Walmart, those are the worst places, then carry cash instead of a debit card. You have a certain amount of money that you bring with you to cover the the grocery list that you have because you have planned that out in advance, then you're less likely to engage in impulse buys. And also, if you you think like, hey, I'm a saver. I'm a saver, right? It goes back to identity. I'm a saver, right? Savers don't, you know, spend money on unplanned expenses. I I really like the connection that you all are making between habits and environment and that we can, I think that is so important that we can really change our environment to support our habits or to support the behaviors that we want to be engaging in. And so that is removing things from our environment, that's adding things to our environment, that's um, changing what's around us, what we see, what cues us, what are, what are the things that are right around us that make accomplishing that thing that we want to do easier. Um, so I think environment's really important. But another thing that we alluded to earlier, and Laurie, you, you mentioned earlier, was uh, around systems to support our habits, things, processes that we engage in that support our habits. Um, and I want to get some more ideas about that. When we're thinking about structure, systems, um, patterns, what comes to mind? Well, okay, I can ask it a different way. When we're thinking about structures and systems and processes to support habits, uh, I think that that's really interesting to explore also. Uh, Eric, you were just talking about automatic savings, for instance. So a a process has been put in place um, to support a goal or to support a habit of savings. And because the process is in place, it's easier to to accomplish than if the process weren't in place. And so thinking about uh, how we can modify our our patterns, uh, what comes to mind in terms of how families can be doing things different at home to accomplish different patterns, different habits. Yep. So I know we've used kind of the um, example of, you know, becoming a, for example, becoming a healthier person. This is something that I focus on with, with a lot of people who come into the office. So if the, you know, the goal might be to lose 20 pounds but the system or the process is what you use to get there. So it's walking three times a week, increasing your water intake, decreasing your carbs. Those are some examples of people that, you know, people come up with to get them to that goal. And so, you know, one thing that 
that's highlighted in uh, the book that Eric had mentioned earlier, which is Atomic Habits. One of the things that I love that he says is that you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. And so instead of, again, focusing on that end goal, you want to focus on the system that's getting you there and ever tweaking that system to become more and more like the person that you're trying to show up to be. I'm thinking about, um, just as an example, how many times clients talk to me about wanting to sleep better, uh, wanting to develop better sleep habits. And when we start looking at the process by which they're going to sleep, there's oftentimes things that need to be changed there. we have very little direct control over being able to stay asleep. For instance, uh, we, we can wake up spontaneously at any given time, but, um, depending on how much we drink right before bedtime will affect if we're able to stay asleep longer or not. Um, the body may need to wake up to go to the bathroom. And so thinking about the process by which you're trying to achieve your goal and really breaking it down into small pieces, I think is really useful. Absolutely. And with sleep, um, you know, the goal is to be able to get eight hours of sleep so that you have a good amount of energy the next day, then recognizing if you're going to bed too late and your brain is overtired and it's going to have a harder time falling asleep. Um, And so working on going to bed earlier is an important strategy, making sure that you're limiting screen time, that you're limiting, like you said, certain things that you can eat or drink that are going to affect your ability to fall asleep. Um, Paying attention to sleep associations is uh, really important. So we all have sleep associations, right? It's I have to have this kind of either lighting and the sheets have to just be so, or I sleep with a blanket, no sheet and the fans on those kind of all those things that come together to make the ultimate, you know, environment so that you can go to sleep, Um, being aware of those and how you can tweak those to have an easier time falling and staying asleep um, can be really helpful. And a part of that is becoming aware of those non-conscious habits. So there's this technique called pointing and calling, right? Like literally I am speaking out those habits as I notice them. Like it is 1030 at night and I'm still watching TV. That's pointing and calling out a particular habit and I'm struggling with sleep. I'm not getting enough sleep. So uh, now that you're aware of the habit, then you can kind of correct it. So I was reading a story of an individual who literally had uh, programmed his internet all the TV was was internet based to, to shut off at ten o'clock at night. So if there's something that's keeping you up at night, I'm I'm you know, mindlessly scrolling through my social media feeds or, or binging Netflix. I can't do that after a certain point. That's that that's that being proactive. That plan. I'm going to take an action before it's actually, or I'm going to make a decision to take an action before it's actually time to perform that action in advance to set me up to be successful. Because again. Self-control is a terrible long-term strategy. I'm going to be disciplined and set myself up for success beforehand. Yeah, I want to I want to set up my behaviors and habits so I don't have to rely on my own will. I think, you know, will, as you're saying, Eric, is, is an important uh, tool and short-term strategy, but I don't want to have to rely on that. So I want to, I want to put things in place, guardrails in place, practices, procedures, systems in place that help uh, me not have to rely on me to do it. I want to um, shift for just a minute and talk about something else. Something I've noticed as a as a trend with habits are people uh, making their habits publicly known. Uh, and a common way for people to do this right now is to post them on social media. I'm not a huge social media user, but I, I understand the concept of making the goal or the habit or the new thing known publicly as a way to get both community support, but also to leverage peer pressure as a motivator. One of you guys' thoughts, uh, Lorian, what do you think about uh, the strategy of making habits known? So each of those kind of four steps in a behavior with the cue, the craving, the response, and the reward 
there are things that you can do at each step that are going to either set you up to be able to um, have more success with creating that habit. And then there's things that you can do um, that would help you to stop a bad habit. So what you're describing is um, kind of the two sides of the, the accountability coin or the support coin, depending on what you're garnering at the time. So if you're making it known that you're working on something, um, people supporting you and cheering you on and you know letting that you know letting you know that they're they're right there with you and they're encouraging you that's a reward that makes that that behavior satisfying which is you know that last step in the behavioral process so you have to have a cue craving and a response in order to engage in any behavior the reward is what makes you do it again and you know that's the that's the dopamine hit that we get the yes that feels so good and so and social reinforcement can be so powerful in helping us continuing to to move forward um the alternative in terms of trying to stop a bad habit like hey everybody i'm uh, i'm quitting smoking that's one that a lot of people don't want to don't want to make public because they're afraid like if I fail then people are going to be disappointed or they're going to be upset or I'm going to look like you know I'm, I'm a failure but accountability is the other side of that where if um, you know people are knowing what you're working on and you have to be accountable you're much less likely to do the thing that you're trying to stop doing if it's a bad habit that you're trying to stop, whether it's smoking or eating, you know, junk food or eating out, that kind of thing. Hmm. And I would add to that and say that typically if we're trying to change a habit, oftentimes these are very personal things. These are, these are very meaningful things. I would, I would be very intentional in curating that community around me that's going to support me in helping to succeed. Uh, there's a lot of haters out there. There's a lot of people who want to see you fail, who thrive on seeing people fail, who want to normalize failure. And I think uh, social media is a really good place for those people to come out in, in, in droves. So I, I would be very uh, careful, uh, depending, again, depending on what we're talking about, right? Um, but if it's something super meaningful, something super vulnerable, uh, particularly as it relates to to getting better with my money or or strengthening a relationship, Matt, what you do in, in your business, I would be very intentional in curating that community of people that are going to um, support me when I fail. Because all the studies show that um, habits that, that we can fail as we're developing a new habit, and that that's not we're not backtracking. That's just part of the the process of of growing and learning that habit. And I don't need someone telling me, "You see, you've been going to the gym for three months and you put on five pounds. It's not doing anything for you." I, I don't need that. I need someone to say, "Hey, you're putting the work in. That's what you need to be doing. Keep doing that." So accountability is important. Um, surrounding ourselves with those people who are going to support us and and looking for those people who already have that habit. And I want to surround myself by the people who are already successful in the behaviors that I want to accomplish. So putting, putting yourself out there, letting people know publicly what you're working on could be really, really useful. And then Eric, you're saying, but some people are going to be more useful and helpful than others in, in supporting you and being thoughtful about uh, who your who your support who your cheerleaders are? Yeah, I think there's some people who have who have a little bit more mental fortitude, who can handle the haters, mm. who can handle the people, you know, speaking negatively. And I think there's some of us who who are going to struggle with that because we like to be liked and we want we want support and we want to be encouraged. And when someone sells us something negative, it, it's very personal to us. I think it's it's going to be very individual. Um, in terms of how and who we put out what we're trying to accomplish. And when you're trying to shift your identity to be somebody who is, you know, trying to be healthier, make better choices, show up, um, and your natural perception is to pick out your flaws and see your weaknesses and your failures like we were talking about earlier, 
you're going to be more prone to putting a lot more weight onto the one negative comment that you get mm. and pay no attention to the 20 positive comments that you get. And mm. so it's a very risky move to put things on social media for that reason, among others. Here's a, here's a good kind of example, Matt, and we, we talk about this regularly, um, budgeting. You know, I've made it known my initial feelings on budgeting it there it's initial feelings of like oh budgeting it's it's so restrictive and and uh, and, and you always say no man budgeting is actually liberating it's very liberating so if i'm trying to get my money under control and i'm around a bunch of people who think budgeting is the stupidest thing ever and and why would you restrict your spending that way and those are the messages that i'm hearing well that's that's what i'm going to default to but if i'm around uh, Matt, who says, no, man, budgeting is actually freeing because it actually frees up money for me to do the things that I really want to do, to allocate the money to the things that I, uh, that I value most, right? It, it, it helps me, uh, it puts me on the path to financial security and to uh, increase, I have a better relationship with my wife because we're not fighting about money because we, we budget. It, it's too very, it's that identity thing. I am a I am a wise manager of my money. I overspend, right? Who do I want to see myself as an overspender or a wise manager of my money? Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't like you said, Lori, and I don't understand how the brain works, but when we're learning and you have it in essence, we're reprogramming our brain and we don't need while we're reprogramming, while we're really in that vulnerable state of learning that new habit, I need everything possible that's gonna cultivate and nourish that new behavior. I don't need the noise that's gonna confuse me, that's gonna make me question why I'm doing what I'm doing. There, there gets to a point where maybe you've developed the habit enough to where you're stronger and you can now, you can handle the, the criticism, but in those early vulnerable stages, I would say of learning that new habit. That's why I, when, I, when I work with clients and we're trying to develop a new habit, whether it's save more, invest more, or develop some more fortitude and dealing with the, the volatility of the market, I like to work with people for at least a year because I know that it's going to take a while to develop that new habit. It's going to take a while to develop those new behaviors to where they can be, um, maybe have more success without the, the, the more interactive uh, conversations with me. Yeah, when you're learning a new habit or a new way of thinking or being, um, you are so susceptible to go in so many different directions and, um, you know, setting yourself up for success by surrounding yourself with people who you want to be more like, who you look up to, who have the same goals and values that you have, um, is, is a much better way to go about doing it. Um, and, and, in terms of, because you said, I don't, I don't know how the how it works with the brain, but on a neural level with the neurons in our um, brain, when you're learning a behavior, it becomes more automatic over time through repetition. And the process is called long-term potentiation. So the, the more times you do something, the stronger that pattern becomes and the more automatic it becomes. And that's what, you know, the, that process of habit formation um, res is resulted in, so, or results from. And so making sure that when you are trying to develop new habits, that you're looking at what are the cues around me that is setting me up to make the right choices? Um, how easy is the behavior? Break it down and make it easy to do. If I'm trying to, you know, run a marathon, I got to start with just putting my shoes on and going for a walk. Make it easy just to show up to be the kind of person that you want to be. Everything you do, like you said, Eric, uh, cast a vote for the person that you want to be like. And so even though they seem like small incremental steps, it, it is compounded over time. Uh, looking back over a long span of time, you're going to see the value in the good habits. Uh, so you need to just stick in there with it. So make it attractive. Give yourself rewards for doing it. Make it easy. Those are some of the best ways to start with getting a habit um, going and then being able to sustain it over time. That's good. That's good. As, as we're, we're 
I think I can have this conversation all day, but I know that we're coming up on an hour here. So we do need to start wrapping up. So that was a really good word, kind of this idea of make it easy. I really like that. Um, don't try to don't try to dominate the world in one day. Um, so make the habit easy. Matt, I'm curious, do you have a a good trick or, or tip or or hack for any particular part of, of life and developing habits? I, I think that you have to know you and find something that works for you. So if you're trying to de develop a habit in an area and it's not working, maybe you don't need to try harder. Maybe you need to try something different. Maybe you need to do something different. And so if it, you know, a rule that I kind of live by, if it's not working, do something different. And I think just unlocking this idea that you don't have to keep doing it that way. You don't have to keep failing in that same way you could try something different uh i think is useful i think laurie you know the the example of running a marathon that that would be really really hard for me but going out and running a mile is something that i can do and then i can extend that a little bit at a time um i know that running by myself is boring as heck and so mm -hmm. finding a running team, a running community is going to be better for me. I know that I don't like to run in the evening. I prefer to run in the morning. I, so I know, I know certain things about myself and my own habits that are going to make that easier. And again, I would just leave, leave people with the idea that if, it, if what you're doing is not working for you, do something different. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I would say kind of maybe a, a tip is, and, and we talked about this earlier, um, this idea of start making decisions about actions that you're going to take before you actually have to take them. And that can, that could manifest itself in, in multiple ways. It could be, um, you know, when I get paid in two weeks, I am going to save X amount of dollars. Um, it could be when I have the urge to buy something that costs over $100, I'm going to wait 24 hours before I actually purchase it. So, so you're starting to make these decisions on actions that you're going to take before you actually have to take them so that when the, when the, when the time presents itself, you've already made a decision. That's really what a budget is. I'm making a decision on spending before I actually have the money to spend it. So, so it's good stuff. Lori, give us any, anything, any parting words on habits. And then I want to know your favorite um, EPL, English Premier League soccer team. So give us, give us closing words on habits and then your EPL soccer team. Okay, so ultimately I would just encourage people to remember that success is not a goal that you reach or a finish line that you cross. It's, it's not the end point. It's rather the system to continuously improve. It's a process to refine. And you can use a goal to set your next destination, um, but you want to keep your eyes on the path that gets you there. And you recognize that every step you take, every action that you choose is getting you closer to your goal and ultimately to the person that you want to be like. So you celebrate the wins, you brush off the losses. It's good. Uh, my favorite EPL team. Speaking of losses, who's your favorite uh, team? <laughs> Hardy har har. The favorite EPL team, uh, Greg and I both follow the Southampton Saints. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. You want to pick, you wanna still, pick a bone hey, with me? They're still What's in the that? league. Do you want to pick a bone yeah. with me? No, no, no. I was just curious. I'm just glad you didn't say like Man United or something. Because Matt might have picked the bone with you. <laughs> I, I am a Man City fan. We haven't brought this up on the podcast before, but uh, I started watching Man City uh, when Mark Hughes was the manager. That's that's several years ago. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting story how we how we chose Southampton. It was it was a, a little bit random. We knew we wanted to kind of pick a team and follow them. Um, we didn't want to kind of pick one of the big five. So, so my husband, Greg, just picked Southampton. 
and uh, literally did not know until we started to follow them that they are the Southampton Saints and that in their stadium at St. Mary's, they sing when the Saints go marching in. And I just, it was hilarious when we heard that the first time, nearly fell out the chair, but it just kind of solidified that we picked the right team. New Orleans Saints, Southampton Saints. Yeah. So so we've stuck with that's, them and we, we thoroughly enjoy it. That's good. Since you're already in the habit of singing when the Saints go marching in, in the habit of saying who dat and go Saints, <laughs> you don't have to learn anything new. That's clever. That is brilliant, Dr. Lori. Bring in the wisdom. I thought about it before I did it. No, just kidding. It was awesome. just automatic. <laughs> no, thanks again, Lori. This was this was great. I appreciate you coming to the show, Matt. Always always appreciate your uh, your thoughtful questions, right? Yeah, I, I guess you do. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. Thank you both well, again, for having everyone, me thanks, on. Yeah, thanks for listening. Don't forget to share this on your social media so we can get more and more people listening. Don't forget, as we say here on Building Us, invest in your relationships. Dr. Matt Morris maintains an active private practice for couples and families in the greater New Orleans area. To learn more about his work, visit drmattmorris.com. Eric Garcia can be found online at plan-wisely.com. His branch office is located in New Orleans, Louisiana. The branch phone number is 504-218-5479. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through New Century Financial Group, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Insurance services offered through Garcia Financial Group, LLC. Entities listed are not affiliated.